Welcome back into mile 26.2 of the Seconds Flat Podcast milestone episode here this week. And we are happy to bring in for it Kate Hall, USA Indoor Champion in the long jump, second place finisher in the 60-meter dash. I recorded an interview with Kate earlier this week, and we will bring that to you shortly. But first, Benny and I are going to wrap up what's been happening since we talked to you last time indoor season is over yes it is outdoor season is kicking off benny we were up in charlotte this past weekend for the 49er classic good fun had by all friend of the show max hoffman good personal best in the 5,000 meters up there sporting some nifty red hair he did he looked good so uh benji how you doing bud uh, I am congested but invested in this week's episode. I love that about you. I know you've been fired up, ready to talk about NCAA indoors. I have. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Woo! Yes, you have. Indoor, indoor, indoor. That was an incredible amount of energy that you brought to the table right there. <laughs> Key takeaways. What do you see that we can take from there also going forward to the spring outdoor season? Yeah, I really, my big takeaway being a distance guy is the cross-country takeover of the indoor track and field championship. Yes, sir. We saw Jessica Hull, who was third place at the NCAA cross-country championships in the fall, anchor Oregon's winning distance medley relay, and then coming back the next day and winning the 3,000 meter. And then we saw Morgan McDonald of Wisconsin double and win both the 5K and 3K. What a dominant year for that guy. Golly, cross country. Yep. 5K, 3K. What's he going to do outdoor? Right. How special has he been for Bucky Badger? What else from the distance? All our listeners know. Big fan of NAU here. Yeah, you're not hiding any secrets there. So to see their Kiwi, Jordy Beamish, run a 53-second last 400 to capture the men's one-mile title was pretty exciting considering he had the slowest personal best coming into the race and is the only guy who had not broken four minutes for the mile in the whole field. Once again, an example of how championship racing plays out in traditional sit and kick. And if you can run somewhere in that 52, 53 range for the last lap, you're going to be in position to win. A bit of a surprise, but one that you enjoyed, I know. It really was a special performance by Beamish. Yeah, and speaking of great kicks at the mile distance, and the first night in the men's distance medley relay, we saw pre-race favorite, I would say, Stanford, have Grant Fisher, their stud, Mm -hmm. take the lead with a lap to go. The announcers had already handed it to Stanford, and who comes storming down the straightaway? Notre Dame's Jared Negus. This kid's a sophomore. He nips him at the line, Runs 356, which is just insane. To Fisher's credit, he did run 354. (laughs) But it was awesome to see the Irishman just celebrating and their coach run up on the track after getting second last year in what was considered a big upset to finish second. Yeah. Uh, So it was really cool to see them put it all together and get that title. Fun race with some drama there. To Grant Fisher, we have discussed his kind of always the bridesmaid, never a bride career at Stanford, where he has been hyped as one of the premier runners in the country. And he's had incredible success. 
but there's been pressure put on him from the outside of people thinking it's his turn to win this championship and this championship and one after another. I like what you said in interview in his interviews after about how he has responded to that outside sentiment from people who may not understand what his goals are. What did he share? Yeah, specifically, uh, I believe it was a reporter from Let's Run mm-hmm. who asked him how it felt to continually getting to continue to get second to Morgan McDonald. He was like, ah, another one slid by me. Mm-hmm. And he responded with, I actually pride myself in my consistency and all credit goes to my coach that I'm able to finish on the podium as often as I do. Morgan is a great runner. He's the Australian 5,000 meter champion. I can't be upset losing to him. And he just prided himself on that consistency. And it's true. The kid won a national title as a sophomore in the 5K on the track. And that's so much pressure to carry for the next two years. And all he's responded with is continually landing on the podium. Whether he's winning or not, this is one of the best runners in the NCAA. And I love the way he carries himself. Yeah, absolutely. Some humility there. And seeing the value in consistency, it's something we talk about a lot in distance training. Consistency sets you up for long-term success. He's certainly got plenty of great races still ahead of him. And to be right there in the mix time and again, it's really a testament to the way he is prepared for every race. They they haven't had this huge blow-up. He is right there in contention, and I am almost certain we will see him in contention again this spring on the track. Definitely. Anything else you saw at NCAA Indoor we should share? Well, he definitely wasn't the only Grant performing on the track this weekend. (laughs) Do you want to talk a little bit about Grant Holloway? My guy Grant Holloway from Florida. I think most significantly about Grant Holloway is how good he is for the sport. His energy his enthusiasm, his personality. He is just this huge charismatic figure within the sport with his strength in the hurdles. He wins the 60 meter hurdle, NCAA championship, new American record performance. He is certainly our American front runner looking forward to 2020. And then you have a group of of guys with talent like Devin Allen right behind him. But that group was not able to bring home a medal in 2016 in an event that the United States has for so long been dominant in. And I think Grant Holloway immediately becomes a national star, assuming he, I, I don't want to put the cart before the horse, he of course has to stay healthy. He has to peak at the right time. I'm sure his focus is solely right now on his spring season at the University of Florida. But with all that said, he can become a national star in 2020 in Tokyo because he is our likely best bet for a medal. Moreover, that personality is going to play so well on the national stage when we bring in people to see our sport who aren't normally invested in track and field. And he will play well on that TV coverage, there is no doubt. University of Florida gets a team championship as well. 
He's throwing all kinds of points out there for those guys. He will do anything. He will sprint. He will hurdle. He will relay. He will jump. Incredible athlete. The coverage now has come to a point with ESPN where he has a relationship with some of those guys that they're looking forward to that interview and the giggles are already starting. Yes. And, and it's it's really conversational and fun. And so a Grant Holloway for me was once again star of the meet. I know we often skew our coverage to some of the distance events because it's what we both do and love, but he was an absolute superstar in Birmingham last weekend. Absolutely. One of my favorite things he did this weekend is going into the 4x4. Florida already had the team title wrapped up, and they run it, and Houston wins the 4x4. And their guy goes down, hits the track. What does Grant Holloway do? He runs over and pretends to give the guy CPR. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else who had just lost the 4x4 national title would be upset. But his team had won. He ran over there, congratulated the guy, and just had a fun time. In a sport with speculation going on about certain athletes, and maybe it's kind of a second-tier thing, like why would you run track when you can do football, to see this refreshing, fun take on it. Mm -hmm. Exactly what you said. He's the face the sport needs. Yep. He did it with sportsmanship, dignity, incredible enthusiasm and class. Hats off on that performance. Now... We're going to bring you another athlete who had incredible indoor success, another national champion, this time at the USA level, but she had done it before in college, both an NCAA indoor and outdoor championship for Kate Hall. Kate joined us earlier this week so that we could talk about her success this season, her transition to becoming a professional athlete, and most importantly, how she has succeeded as an athlete with type 1 diabetes and a lot of great advice and stories that she can share there from her experience. We'll pick up there with Kate. We are excited to welcome in Kate Hall to the show. Kate is the 2019 USA Indoor Long Jump Champion and was runner-up in the 60 meters. She also won NCAA Indoor and Outdoor Long Jump Championships at the University of Georgia and is your national high school long jump record holder. Kate, welcome into the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. So it's been a few weeks since your amazing performance at USA Indoors. How are you feeling? Is it sinking in? I feel great. I mean, going into indoors, that was my goal to win long jump and have a really great time in the 60 indoors was so short just because outdoors is going to be really long because of the world championships um so going into it we're just going through kind of like a power training phase we weren't going to do anything crazy where i was going to be tired i just wanted to be nice and recovered and relaxed so i was hoping to feel great going to the long jump and get a good mark and it went really well so i'm i'm really excited yes yeah, so did you feel confident going in based on what you said about your training there I did feel confident. It was kind of different training or competing four weeks in a row. Mm. I was used to competing in college kind of every other week, and I like it that way. That way you can kind of focus on training and not just competing all the time. But since indoor was so short, it was kind of four weeks back-to-back competing. So I kind of talked to my coach, and he said, all right, we just want to make sure that we get some good training days in, but nothing crazy. You want to make sure you're rested. 
um, and feeling good for indoor nationals. So I was definitely feeling like that going in and I was very confident. Given that you had to squeeze things in on that abbreviated schedule and change your normal training plan, how much work were you doing in competition where you were still working on things to build for USAs since you had to maybe tone down a little bit of what you were doing through the week to get ready? Yeah, so I mean, practice-wise, like I was only getting two days of like good practices in a week and then I was just resting and recovering for the meet so then at the meet it was really just that was almost like a training day for me where I was competing rested but I was also working on technique and trying to improve things to get ready for USA's um like I went to Europe for my first for my second meet this season and that was my first time going to Europe and it was extremely stressful just because of the language barrier but I was really glad that I was able to go and experience that during indoor. So then when outdoor comes, I'll be ready to go. So it definitely helped me. Is that the first time you've had to uh, adapt to that schedule of competing so frequently? It was kind of like that in high school for me. I was competing probably every week in high school, um, but that was just the normal for me. But once I got to college, it was like every other week. And I liked it so much better just because you could train. And then along with traveling, which takes a couple of days as well, it was just so much easier like on my body and just mentally to compete every other week. So it was tough just because it was a little bit tiring. But yeah. I think that we played it the right way where it was just focusing on training a couple of days and then getting recovery. And now we can focus on outdoor and kind of spread out schedule a little bit more. Yeah, get some time to recover. Describe the feeling of winning the long jump. What was that day like for you? It was amazing. Um, It's always a really good feeling to end the season on a good note. And it was my first season professionally. So I was really just hoping to be consistent and have a good jump. Um, And it was my goal to win. So being able to win on my first ever professional season, my first ever um, indoor USAs, it was a great feeling. It just gave me some encouragement and confidence going into outdoor. All right. So you take that encouragement and that confidence and you're coming back the next day for the 60, right? And I have to think you felt that this was an incredible opportunity. No expectations now. I have a national championship. Uh, What was your mental approach coming back? It was great. I was very confident going into the 60 because I had a great day in the long jump. So it made me more confident going to 60 knowing I was feeling good. And a lot of people think that I'm just a long jumper. Mm-hmm. But for me, I don't see it that way. I think I'm a long jumper and a sprinter. And even though right now I'm better in the long jump than I am in the sprints, um, I'm working towards getting better and I like it just as much. So I didn't have the mindset after the long jump as okay I won long jump now I can just go and run the 60 for fun and you know just whatever I had the mindset that I wanted to go and run fast and do well so right after long jump I got with my coach and we just did some breathing and relaxation techniques and we kind of talked to me like okay this is amazing did so well but now we have the 60 tomorrow so now we need to focus on that and try not to 
get too caught up in the moment here. And I'm usually feeling awful the day after jumping because my body <laughs> takes longer to recover. But I woke up the next day on very little sleep because I never sleep well after after doing well. It felt great. My body felt the best it's felt after jumping. And that just added to the confidence. And I couldn't wait to go out there and run and get a good start. To take you back to your college career, you were a multi-time NCAA champion there. And as you said, some people know you, recognize you just as a jumper, in part probably because of the success you had in high school and college in that event. University of Georgia has an incredible tradition in the field events. And what's your perspective on what has made UGA so special? A lot of things. I, I liked it there a lot. Um, so first off, I think they're able to get some really great recruits in from high school, just the warm weather, the atmosphere is just amazing there. So I think it's easy to get some great top recruits in, but then I think the coach there at UGA just takes those, um, incoming athletes and just brings them to the next level, which is key because I'm there training with olympians and other ncaa champions and it's an amazing atmosphere to be in and i think that really attracts like other high schoolers as well knowing that they can go in there and not only train with these amazing athletes but get better themselves and they can hope to maybe win an ncaa title someday so that's such a great thing about uga yeah could you expound a little more on that competitive environment every day in in practice with the other women that you were working with on the team, as you said, that elite level athletes you're seeing every day, that is an incredibly unique opportunity. Definitely. That was one of my favorite things about UGA, just going in there and training with these Olympians. It was, it was kind of intimidating when I first got there, but then when I got to know them, it's like, oh, these these people are amazing. They're so nice. They're so down to earth, which made it so much better. But then at the same time, during practices, um, we're like almost competing against each other. And it's almost like a meet. So then we go to these meets and we're already used to competing together at practice. I mean, we measure all of our jumps in practice. So it's such a fun environment. And we all get along so well that we're able to laugh and have a good time. But there's also that competitiveness as well. And it was, it was so much fun. What can you take away from that time in Athens that you're applying now to your professional career that's just gotten underway and off to such an amazing start? I think the main thing that I can take away is just the technical work that I've learned there in the long jump mainly. Um, in high school, I, that was kind of what I was lacking was the technical aspect. I knew a lot about you know lifting and and sprinting and training phases, but I didn't know much about the technique of it. And I felt like at UGA I was able to learn that technique well, and I loved what I learned. And we had to change my approach a couple of times because I was very inconsistent at first. And then once we found what worked, it just was a whole game changer for me. And now that's what I'm still using. And I also learned a lot about maximizing my speed on the runway. So I'm still taking all of those little things I learned into consideration now. And it's really helped me. For people who maybe in our audience, we have a lot of folks who are distance running fans, maybe yeah. more so than, than sprints and, and jumps. 
could you explain a little bit about how in the horizontal jumps it is such a sprint event and and when you talk about your mechanics and technique in your approach um what you carry over from sprinting and say from the 60 to what you do in the long jump yeah so being also a sprinter training for the 16 for the sprints also helps with long jump but in long jump a lot of competitors if they have if they have a good pop but they don't have the speed they're not necessarily going to go super far but if you have the speed aspect and the pop then you can take that technique on the board where you're getting that pop and then you're also bringing a huge amount of speed you're going to go out and it's going to bring you so far so for me, I'm really working on maximizing that speed, which also includes doing a lot of block work, all of, all of that speed stuff that helps. That's what I found um, has really helped me in the long term, just focusing on bringing that speed, but also having like the right takeoff angles at the board too. Yeah. You've also been outspoken about the challenges of college athletics. And I'd like to know more about what insights you might give the recruit who's going through the process looking at college uh, or the collegiate athlete who's struggling to find balance in, in his or her life. What would you say to those folks? There's so much I could say. <laughs> um, I'm really open about this subject. And I think there needs to be more awareness brought to it because I think a lot of collegiate athletes struggle with the environment, um, especially coming from high school and transitioning to college. They struggle with it, but they don't want to say anything um, and they don't want to complain. But I think it needs to be heard that it's okay to struggle and it's okay to talk about it because so many other athletes are going through this so the main thing that I noticed was that college, college athletics, it's mostly a business. And the truth is a lot of coaches care about winning and having athletes that can score a large amount of points and, and making money. And that's the truth of it. So a lot of like high school athletes go into it thinking it's going to be a lot like high school, that they're going to find a coach um, who they can connect with and get along with when that's not necessarily the case. And a lot of times on their visits, they'll find that the coach that's recruiting them has a whole different personality than when they actually go to the school. So my advice is to just look out for those things. Um, don't base your decision off of the coach's personality or how much, how much of a good person you think he or she is. Base it off of um, the atmosphere and the, and the training environment and your teammates and obviously the academics. Um, because in the end, it's going to be your teammates that get you through. And also another huge important thing that I learned was that you also want to talk to um, your future teammates and ask them questions about how it really is there and if there's any issues because they're going to tell you the truth. And I learned that in the recruiting process. So with some of those issues that you confronted, did you ever start to question your passion for, for what you do? Yeah, there are definitely times. Um, 
I felt like, especially after my last outdoor season at UGA, I just felt like I was doing the same thing over and over, the same type of lifts, the same type of practices. And my body was just kind of getting used to doing the same things over and over. And I needed something new. Um, And also being a type one diabetic, my body takes longer to recover. So I really felt that by the end of the season, I was just getting completely worn down. And I also wanted to compete in the outdoor USA championships and possibly qualify for worlds. But that wasn't a possibility because of the NCAA season and it being so taxing for me. Um, So I really had to think And I remembered why I really loved track and field and what my goals were. And my goals were world championships and Olympics. And if I'm not able to go out there and go to USA's and try to qualify for worlds and compete professionally and and go to Europe, then what am I doing? Because at that point, I've already won multiple NCAA titles and a team title. So I wanted to go and pursue my other goals and my bigger goals, which are the Olympics. So that's when I kind of realized, okay, I need to to make a change and leave the NCAA and go and pursue my dream. All right. A lot of great stuff in there. I'd love to unpack a little bit more. Yeah. First, with, with those goals that you mentioned in turning pro, has the ability to refocus on those been part of finding your passion again and helped lead to the success this year? Yeah, definitely. Because I'm back with my trainer that I had in high school. And he knows a lot about type 1 diabetics and the kind of training and recovery they need. And it's really been a game changer for me because now I'm able to go and train and feel 100% every day that I'm training and also get the recovery that I need. So it's a really good balance and I'm always trying different exercises, um, different drills. So I'm always changing it up. So I'm never getting kind of bored of what I'm doing. My body isn't adapting to what I'm doing. So it's been a huge difference for me. And it's just made training more fun and more exciting. And it's just now I'm back focused on, okay, world championships and Olympics. And it's, it's so much fun. So you mentioned there being a type 1 diabetic. And you've been a great advocate for athletes with diabetes. How has that impacted your athletic career? You mentioned there about recovery. That's obviously a piece, but maybe you could share some other ways as well. Yeah, so I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 10 years old. When I was diagnosed, I wanted to kind of control it all by myself, which I think was a really good thing for me because it made me work hard at a really young age. And that's where my work ethic stemmed from. Um, And now it's kind of rolled over into track and field. So that's been a huge positive about being type 1 diabetic is that I made it into something good. I've made it into something positive. And I don't think I'd be where I am today if I wasn't diagnosed with it. But when it comes to dealing with it during practices, during competitions, there's a lot that goes into it. I'm always having to track my blood sugars to make sure that they don't go too high or too low because that can cause muscle cramps, which I learned the hard way during one of my meets and I had to scratch all of my events. Then during competitions, adrenaline makes my blood sugar spike, so I have to deal with that as well. But luckily, I have have an insulin pump Omnipod, which 
has made a huge difference for me. It's um, sticks right on and doesn't fall off. I had to switch at one point because I had a pump that would just constantly fall off. And then my blood sugars would skyrocket because I wasn't having insulin. And then when I switched, it was a whole game changer for me because then I didn't have to worry anymore. And it's, it's definitely a struggle dealing with it every day, but it's made me who I am. And I'm really passionate about showing others that it doesn't have to stop them from doing anything and you can control it. It, it doesn't have to control you. So I think if you kind of have that mindset, then anyone who has type one can do anything they want to. I love the way you just said that. And let's build on that a little bit. I've worked with young women who have been in your situation and those challenges you face every day, just going to practice. And what's it going to be like when I get out on the track? Um, things that a lot of other athletes can't necessarily relate to. What advice would you give the high school girl out there listening who is in a similar place to what you've experienced? Yeah, so one thing I would say is to be very open about it. I know quite a few diabetics who are a little shy about sharing that they have diabetes. And I find that people actually look up to you if you have diabetes, because then they realize that you're dealing with this lifelong disease. And then you're also going out there and doing amazing in whatever you're doing and you're a normal a normal person and they look at you and think oh wow like this is amazing that you can go out there and and do all of this considering everything you have to deal with so I found that once I opened up to my friends extended family teammates whoever that they were extremely supportive they helped me through all my highs and lows, literally. Um, and when I was younger, they would also like give me ca candy when my blood sugar was low. And it was so much fun. They were so excited to help me. So I think <laughs> just being really open about it is would be amazing. And it really helped me. And then I think another thing is everything's a learning experience. I've had so many different experiences, negative experiences with being type 1 diabetic that has actually helped me in the long run. Like having a muscle cramp and my blood sugar was low, I learned that I needed to keep track of my blood sugar better before my competitions. So things are going to happen and it's okay, but just make sure you're learning from it and trying to think of what you can do to prevent it from happening next time and just take things one day at a time and try not to get too overwhelmed. Yeah, it's it's not a failure, right? It's just a learning experience exactly. on the path to success. Yeah, yeah, cool. Any resources out there that you might suggest for the athlete with diabetes, whether it's books, stuff online, anything that's been helpful for you that you think you'd like to share with any of the listeners? There's some podcasts out there that I know are are good for it's like a specific diabetic podcast that I was on um, oh, cool and some, some of those are are really good it's a daily grind um, I actually started a blog as well um, and I kind of talk about my struggles with diabetes and how I've overcome them and also dealing with recovery having diabetes some tips for that and then also like during my workouts 
setting different pump settings to help prevent low blood sugars. So definitely go check out my blog. Yeah, we'll link that in the show notes uh, when we post the episode for sure. So you mentioned the goals, world championships, the Olympic Games. So we are a little over a year out now from the Tokyo Games. Maybe you could share a little bit more about your goals moving forward and uh, what the upcoming schedule looks like for you. Yeah, so right now I'm in the process of figuring out my outdoor schedule. It's very long since Worlds are the end of September. So there's so many meets to choose from. So I'm figuring that out currently, but I'm hoping to start competing the end of April. So my main focus will be outdoor USAs and qualifying for world championships and then hopefully being there. So those will be the big things for me. And then Olympics next year, but I also like to take things one day at a time, one meet at a time. So first thing on my mind right now. Great. Well, we'll be rooting for you this summer outdoor for sure. Given all you've achieved at such a young age in track and field, what do you think has been maybe the most meaningful experience offered to you by the sport? There's not one specific experience that I can think of that I think, oh, wow, that's made a huge difference in my track and field career or anything that has made me change the way I look at track. But I think the biggest thing is just my journey to where I am now. Like when I started training when I was 10, um, and then I started getting better when I was in high school, and I really fell in love with the sport when I was a freshman in high school and was watching the Olympic trials on TV, and that's when I came up with my goals for making the Olympics. Um, so it's really been the journey that's been the biggest thing for me, because without all those practices, all the work that I put in, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I really do love the sport and I love training. And I know if I didn't love training, I wouldn't be where I am. So it's really the journey that has gotten me to where I am and helped me achieve the goals that I've achieved. You just mentioned your high school experience and falling in love with the sport in high school. You broke a national high school record that was one of the longest standing in any track and field event. How did that moment change the trajectory along the journey that you're talking about? What what became different for you when you were now owner of a national high school record? Yeah, that changed, honestly, everything. Mm -hmm. That's one of the best moments of my life. And it was completely unexpected at the time. And I was just so shocked and so incredibly happy. But it's been such a positive thing and it's helped me become more confident and set higher expectations for myself. And I think that's has come into play when I transferred um, my first year of college, because if I hadn't jumped as far as I did, then I would be okay with jumping 20 feet. But that really set the stage for what I knew I could do. So if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have transferred. I wouldn't have gone to University of Georgia and won NCAA titles and now become a professional. So that's changed my life. 
yeah, you started to set your own bar even a little bit higher than, than what you could have imagined before. That's great. I, I think regardless of the endeavor within track, field, cross-country road racing, sometimes it takes a breakthrough to really realize what you're capable of, and exactly. then you, you start on a whole new path after that. Exactly. So we like to do a little thing called the bell lap at the end where we get some quick, easy questions for you. Will you, play, will you play along with a few here for us? Sure. Okay, cool. On average, how much are you sleeping per night? Nine to ten hours. Fantastic. Okay. That seems to be a common theme among the great athletes that we talk to. Really? Yeah, so you have lived in a few different parts of the country. Your favorite place that you've lived? Still has to be Maine. I really like Maine. <laughs> it's my home. That's right. There's nothing like home. Celebrity crush is? Don't have one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, that's all right. Best thing you've read in a while? The Bitter Truth. All right, it's tell about me about it. It's about um, sugar and what it does to the body and how it's very bad for you. I don't think I even want to know what the um, answers are in that book, yeah. given my sweet tooth. So, yeah. Are you a Netflix watcher? I am. All right. Your recent binge? Ooh. Making a Murderer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Very popular. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, it's, I love documentaries, and that one is, it's a good one, so. Okay, cool. Do you have a favorite documentary? Um, I would say so far it's that one. It's, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It's got the Kate Hall five-star approval for anyone <laughs> who wants to watch. All right, Kate, we'll take you off the hot seat with that. Thank you so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure. We look forward to seeing what you do outdoor this season and in coming seasons. And again, congratulations on the incredible performance this year indoors. So thank you. Thank so you. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining Seconds Flat. Of course, anytime. All right, that's it for mile 26.2. Before we go, we'll give you a little peek ahead to next week. We're going to dive into the controversy surrounding the new Olympic qualifying standards. There has been a whole bunch of discussion about that, and that topic is going to have a huge impact on who we send to Tokyo and what the fields look like there. Interesting conversation coming up around the Olympic qualifying numbers. We'll also get back into what we're reading and listening to right now in the world of running, but also outside of it. I've had a couple people mention that they enjoyed some of the recommendations from our summer reading list last year and said kind of like some of the non-sports stuff too. So we'll get back into that and tell you what we are interested in right now. Before we go, big news from Run In, our sponsor. It is the anniversary bash this weekend, Saturday the 22nd of March at Run In, and they're doing a gift card giveaway. 16 $100 gift cards will be given out. Shop yourself silly. New shoes, new jacket, new socks. What do you need? Everything you want for running, you can get it at Run In. We are guaranteeing at least one of those gift cards will go to a podcast listener. So rate and review the podcast you'll get entered for a $100 gift card at Run In. So thanks to Dane Simmons, 
the big man at run-in for making that happen for the special people. Listeners, thank you. We have made it to mile 26.2, and we are looking forward to keep going. we got some big marathons coming up that we're going to preview now that we've made it through 26.2. And we both have 26.2s on the That's what I was going to say. Benny has locked in for 26.2 of the trail variety. Yes. I'll be back up in Massachusetts hitting the roads from Hopkinton to Boston in about a month. And so we'll take a look at what happens in those races coming up, but also preview some other big ones like London with its incredible field. Until next time, this has been the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please email us, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you soon. Shout out to Max Hoffman. Yee-hee!